Hello and welcome to the Full of Beans podcast, hosted by myself, Hannah Hickenbotham. Throughout these podcast episodes, we will speak to a range of individuals about their experience of eating disorders, with the aim of increasing awareness and understanding, whilst reducing stigma and isolation. Please note that the topics discussed in this podcast may be triggering for some individuals, so tread lightly, check in with yourself and reflect on these conversations. Today I'm joined by Florence. Florence is a Key Stage 2 teacher and mental health activist on a mission to put mental health and well-being at the forefront of her work. Florence joins us today to discuss how to create a safe and inclusive environment for children around food and body, giving a teacher's perspective on the current state of play of concerns in school-aged children. Hello, Florence. Hi, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? (laughs) Yeah, good, thank you. Excited to be here. Yeah, I'm really excited, actually. I feel like this is kind of a different spin on episodes I've done before, um, but like a really, really important one that maybe we haven't, you know, we haven't spoken about anything like this. So definitely really excited to get your perspective on things. Yeah, it's weird. It's not really, people don't really talk about it that much, especially in primary Mm. school children. A lot of people focus mainly on like body image with teens and Mm. like social media in that aspect but not a lot of people realize it's actually getting like lower and lower the age group that it needs to be spoken about with and teachers that need to be informed at primary age yeah definitely like before we were talking oh sorry whilst we were talking before um we recorded the podcast I was thinking about you know my own personal experience of primary school and I have distinct memories of things that I think were triggers for my eating disorder at primary school, but I just didn't know how to how to manage them. Um, so I guess if we kind of start, like I'm kind of interested into, you know, why you've gone into primary school teaching. Um, do you mind just kind of sharing no, that first? No, totally. So I actually studied um, fashion at the university mm-hmm. and um, in London, and I spent a bit of time at fashion school and then working for some Instagram influencers and brands like that. And I just felt really like intoxicated by the environment. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I realized that I'm, I'm most myself when I'm with animals or children. Mm-hmm. I have three dogs um, and who I'm always with. And they're like my mental health before school. Like I did suffer from an eating disorder and I'm in recovery and like I need to walk my dogs each day. Like that's just a thing for me. And I don't have a phone on at that time. And I'm just with my mum walking my dogs. And I realise that that's the time when I'm most me. And I feel like I should feel like that all day. It shouldn't just be mm-hmm. that hour in the morning. And I was like, well, when else do I feel just like happy? And I'm not saying it's easy and it's all rainbows because it's not. But I just thought I'm going to train to be a teacher. I want to be in an environment where I'm surrounded by people with creativity, with ideas, where we're not Mm -hmm. scrambling on top of each other Mm -hmm. like we were in the fashion world um, and staring at a phone all day. Yeah. And I just thought this is the most me. And also I was I had so much fun in primary school. And I really like remember those few teachers that were so much fun. And I just thought if I could be that for someone else then why not yeah and that's that's such a lovely kind of insight into why you wanting to go into teaching and I always think you know you're so right that actually being around children and being around animals I always find are like the best people to be around or things to be around because it just it's almost like their concerns are so like in the bigger scheme of life so little but it just kind of brings you back down to life into kind of you know worrying about 
the silly things but actually that is there's a kind of joy in that and kind of brings oh yeah definitely definitely like children coming in like panicked I'm like what's wrong they're like I left my lunchbox at home and that's like the biggest (laughs) thing that could possibly go wrong in their life yeah and you're like wow okay and you have to take it really seriously because to them that's a really big (laughs) deal and at the same time you just kind of think this is, that one day they'll look back on this and I'd t- like if you told them in the future they'd be like I can't believe I was literally crying over my lunchbox <laughs> um and it's just sweet to see yeah and nice to console you feel like you're making a difference I didn't feel like I was making a difference when I was in fashion or in the social media influencing world or targeting ad people on adverts I didn't feel like I was making a difference in the slightest of anything I was deteriorating people's mental health as opposed to inspiring it yeah yeah and it just sounds, you know, like now that you're kind of extremely committed to supporting mental health in kind of mm. school age children and, you know, everybody really, um, but specifically focusing on that sort of age. So I guess what was like your, you know, because people might be a school teacher, but not necessarily motivated to support mental health of children. And what, where was your motivation from that? Where did that come from? I think it's really difficult. So when I trained as a teacher, we probably had one hour over the whole year of training um, in our PGCE, which is the training qualification on mental health. Wow. And we had like uh, two hours a week on phonics, which is spelling and reading, obviously really, really important. But there was like one hour on like, oh, if this happens, you like might want to refer them to the special educational needs officer at a school. And I work in the state system and we have someone that comes two days a week and there are 395 children in my school. Like, it's just not possible. It's just not a thing. And I think it was just this massive gap that we're expecting children to learn when they're in the position of worry or fear or anxiety or stuck in habits that they don't know are detrimental. And we can't expect parents to be able to pick up on everything. Uh, we like I know that I spend more time with some of the kids in my class than they see their parents and for that not to be a thing and for teachers not to be trained in that is something that's just mind-blowing to me and I just felt like someone in the schools has got to change that so like ideally one day I'm going to create a curriculum for doing mental health in schools because I feel like it should be as important as maths and it's just not at the end of the day we have a calculator I know that sounds bad but we have a calculator and we can do sums. But you have no one to tell you not to worry about the tiniest things, not to worry about in your body or how to react when you do feel those things because they're just natural. So when children do worry about their bodies or do worry about anxiety or bullies or if their parents are going through something, they don't have the tools to figure that out. It's it's so important and it's almost something I think that you know, we were just joking there about, you know, panicking about your lunchbox or whatever. Um, but actually, I think there does come a point where you do start to worry about, you know, things that as an adult you might consider are bigger worries. Um, but I know when I started to worry about my body and stuff like that, I didn't really know how to navigate it. And I almost I didn't know who to talk to it about or kind of whether it was something that I should have been experiencing or not. Um, so is there anything at the moment in the curriculum that even hints towards supporting that? I mean, you'd think this would be a really black or white answer. Okay, <laughs> I shouldn't think black or white therapists would not be impressed there. You th- <laughs> you think this would be a really <laughs> you think this would be sorry. You think this would be a really clear cut answer. Mm-hmm. Um but 
it's really not. In the science curriculum for Key Stage 2, so years 3 to year 6, there it touches on healthy diet and you have to draw like a food pyramid and draw a plate of food with like this many this or this many this, this many this. And um, you have to do that. And But that's all. And then it's really hard because it's all about having a balanced diet and healthy eating. Yet I have so many children that will say, oh, my mum, my dad says that's not healthy. And you'll be teaching them science and they'll be like, that's not healthy. And you'll be like, that's, and they'll be like, that's bad for you. And you'll be like, well, and I'm really big on being like, well, there's no good or bad. Different things, different times, everything in moderation. And they're like, no, my mum never lets me have that because it's bad. And it's really, really hard because you don't want to overrule those parents. Um, and it's a really fine line between saying, okay, I understand that's what your parents believe, but to shut it down often provokes children saying, oh, well, you're wrong. I don't believe you because my mum says, or I don't believe. And children are so perceptive, like they pick up on everything. And so they'll be like, I've seen my like children say like, oh, but my mum only eats that or my dad said he couldn't eat that. And I'm going off the point here, I know, but like it's not part of the curriculum in that there's nothing that actually teaches them. I feel like the most they know about body image and eating does stem from their home life. And that is so varied. Yeah. Um, no, I think it's a really good point that you made because, you know, I- I think personally, most of my sort of understanding on, you know, healthy eating or my body body image or whatever, that did come from home. And I have a really distinct memory. Um, and, you know, as a family, we're now able to laugh about this, but it just shows the disorderedness in my family when I was younger. At school, we used to have, um, I used to have school meals and I was, my mum let me have, a, you know, one pudding a week. And the reason she did that was because I also went to my grandma's once a week and my grandma was a feeder so my mum had natural concerns about you know she didn't want me to be gaining weight and and stuff like that and I went around a friend's house for dinner um and I my friend's parent was like oh would you like some pudding and I was like oh no because I've been naughty today um and she was like, oh, gosh, Hannah, what did you do? Like, what have you? And I was like, oh, I had a pudding already. Because my mum described, you know, having a pudding or whatever as, be, as a being naughty. So that's the language uh, I use. Yeah. And then she was really frustrated because she didn't want her daughter saying when she had, you know, a pudding or a you know, chocolate or something that it was naughty. Um, so how do you navigate that those sorts of communications in the classroom if you've got people saying things like that that maybe other children haven't been told? Oh, yeah. Them? It's really, it's really tough, and you can really see from the get-go whose families have hesitancies around food and exercise is a big thing. Mm-hmm. So um, it's really, really hard to navigate. There's no easy way to do it. You kind of, you kind of just have to shut it down because it becomes a mob mentality. Mm-hmm. And I often do take it as we're not talking about that right now. However, if you want to come and speak to me afterwards like please come and share that with me or something along those lines so for example most schools have healthy snack healthy snacks policy and so it's hard because every teacher is slightly different so for example children in my class will bring in certain things and I'll be like yep that's fine and then teachers from other classes only let their children have fruit and it's like this fine balance of what 
I believe is healthy and what other teachers believe is healthy. And I don't believe that we should be putting that as an umbrella term like healthy snack policy. I believe we should be giving guidelines. What what should you have? We think you should have this, this, this or this. Um, And so it's really hard to shut down those conversations. But I think that you do have children that are perceptive and they pick up on what their parents do. Like I teach a lot of PSHE, as you can imagine. And um, I've had a child in PSHE, the scheme that we use, there's not a set scheme that all schools have to use, like in maths or English, like all kids have to learn this or this. You can use different schemes. So in a scheme that I used at one school, it was really clear on like, we're going to do a lesson on body image. And that was fantastic. And it was a lesson on the difference between body image and self-esteem. And it touched a bit on eating disorders at age nine but it didn't go into it and it was like it was I felt like it was really well balanced however I had a child be like well miss why are people in salad adverts always laughing (laughs) (laughs) and I just said she said I've never and I just looked at her and I just thought that's a really good question um and (laughs) they get it they understand fully what they're seeing around them 24 7 and a lot of them have older siblings, like they know what it's like and they and they can see different things going on around them and bodies changing. And I think it's really hard to say to them, you actually can't have that conversation in here, but please go home and talk to your parents about it. And it is something I bring up with parents. I would say at parents evening, hey, your child did think this. I understand those may be your views, but I just want to make you aware that this is what they said to another child who was unsure. And they will have those tough conversations, but it took me a while. I didn't for my first two years. I kind of was just like, nope, can't talk about that. And now I've gained confidence in being like the parent, actually, I'm worried about your child in this way, not just academically. Yeah. That's really interesting what you said about the salads and always laughing um because I think your you have right. to, children are so perceptive and pick up on such little things that maybe you don't even realize you're doing yourself um but where do you think I mean I think you kind of said it there with kind of to bring it up at um parents evening but you know in your opinion where does the line kind of where is it drawn in your responsibility to educate on you know like eating and body image because it surely can't all be down to you but at the end of the day like you said you you are going to hear messages Mm. in the classroom that are difficult yeah I think it's it's really hard because I have once brought up to like my line manager Mm. that a child in my class or a child I knew at the school has definitely got a disordered eating pattern that I was worried about and this drives me absolutely crazy but unless the child is at a critical level either obese or extremely underweight they just are like nope it's fine we're not getting into it because there's no health threat and I'm like okay less than 60% of people with eating disorders are medically underweight yet alone children and we're not seeing this and like Tens, 10,000 children were and young people were referred to treatment like April to December last year. And I guarantee you that there were so many calls, like teachers pick up on things and I know that I've picked up on things. And unless you say, unless they're clearly underweight or overweight, it's never picked up on. And it makes me really angry because they say, oh no, that's not our issue. We don't have to deal with that. And I've said to someone I work with, as someone who's in recovery from an eating disorder, I can tell you that this child 
is seeking help and crying out for help. And their parent would appreciate knowing. And they've said, no, we cannot get involved. And so that's something I really, really have a hard time with because quite a few teachers are really good at leaving their work in the building. That's great. There's no right or wrong. You can, I, I, I appreciate the benefits doing that of going to school, working with the kids, coming home. I cannot let it go. Like I will take that home with me and it will sink in. And it makes me so angry because I sit and I worry about these children, which isn't good. And I know that. But you you do take it personally when it's something that you've been affected by that's changed your whole life. You know that early intervention could help. And so I am only allowed, I've only ever crossed that line once with a parent and spoken to them about the eating situation. And that was when a child was one of those extremes, which is what makes me so sad because it's not just the extremes that deserve help. It's everyone. And so, yeah, that is that is that's one of the hardest things. Sometimes I think I'm in the wrong job. I need to go and work in the NHS or and it's just like you can't. Yeah, it's it's really hard. And I. And I have to come home and I say to like my mum and my sister, I said, I don't know what to do about this child. And they're like, there's nothing you can do besides support them in class and yeah. help them and be there. And like, I know, but I, I get so emotional about it because it's like seeing a little me or little my friends who I know. And you can't you can't do anything. You can't cross that line. Um, yeah, it's really sucky. It is hard. And. I think me and you are both the same in that when we see somebody, you know, because we have that personal experience, when you see somebody you're like, oh my God, like I don't want them to experience the same thing as me and I want to be able to help them. But I think, you know, being able to recognise where you can help and where you can support is is so important. And, you know, I was just thinking back, you know, when I asked you then, you know, where do you think your line is or where you draw the line? Because I had a teacher at school and, and this was at high school, but this was when my eating disorder was, you know, getting quite bad. And the first person I went to was my teacher because she was the person I I felt comfortable. I had that sort of relationship because she was my form tutor in being able to speak to her about it. And, you know, she didn't sit there and say, yes, I can you know, support you with your eating disorder. She referred me to the mental health team at school who then referred me to the doctor. So they obviously had a clear process in place. Um, But initially, you know, she was the person because I felt that I was the most comfortable with her. So Mm. I think I'm not saying that teachers have a role in, you know, providing recovery support and helping somebody, but I think definitely in terms of signposting people to the right place if, if a child comes to you then that's surely yeah you know that's definitely. surely a responsibility if a, child, if a child came to me I would definitely tell um mm-hmm. like our health coordinator and definitely get referred but I just I've never had a child come to me that and I don't know yeah. whether that's because they're not aware of it it's gonna say age as well maybe that, that um, age would you know yeah they're young and I don't think they know however like I do have children that look out for each other which is what I love like I have children that say they're worried about other children if they didn't eat their lunch one day Uh, they'll come to me and they'll tell me and then I'll go up to a child and be like are you okay and they'll be like oh yeah I just didn't like it today and I'll be like okay thanks for letting me know um and I like I have seen like really really caring children that do care so that's great to see and they look out for each other and like I eat lunch with the kids so because I prefer them than adults yeah 
Do you think that, you know, from your experience of working in the school, that is there particular kind of concerns that the sort of age of children you're working with have, or is it quite broad still? Well, I definitely say that the younger children in the school, so one of my best friends works in Key Stage 1, so with six-year-olds, and um, with them, it with the younger children, this is obviously a generalisation, but it's the boys that say, oh, I need to have pecs like Superman. Or, wow. oh, I went to the gym, yeah, oh, I went to the gym with my dad in lockdown. Or um, they'll do a lot of, like, the flexing of the muscles mm. and be like, oh, no, I'm stronger than you. Or And it's the boys that, the younger ones, it's really the boys. The girls seem seem to be really free at that age and playing and running around. But the boys are always arm wrestling or saying oh I look more like Superman than you or oh or drawing six packs on themselves like it's terrible wow six. yeah and then li- yeah like six and seven and then as they get older the boys kind of retreat into themselves and I the insecurities are still there mm-hmm. but they're inside and when that's when the girls start to become a lot more perceptive of what they're doing and like I read an article this week in the paper about girls not doing like girls not doing as much sport as boys at school simply because they wear skirts. And I literally had to put my head on the table and was like, sorry, what's going on? Um, And yeah, they were saying how like girls don't feel, it was in the times, girls don't feel comfortable running around because they wear skirts at school. So they are having like higher obesity rates because they don't want to run around in case like they flash their skirt. And I was like, sorry, what? And I know that a lot of the girls at like at primary school I was at an all-girls school but we always wore like shorts under our skirts and stuff Mm -hmm. like that and I think that as the girls get older they like and enter key stage two they are more self-aware of like what's cool Mm. and their bodies and like how to wear their skirt and they just become a lot more where the boys don't seem to be as affected by it by the body image in general as they go into key stage two it's when they're much younger but no, I think that with the older ones, it's a lot, like a lot of them have TikTok, a lot of them have social media. Mm-hmm. And there's a big divide in all classes between the children that are allowed social media and the children that aren't. Right. And it's clearly very much conflict. Like the f- people who have social media will be friends with each other because they talk all night on social media. <laughs> the ones that don't will come in and be like, oh, how's your evening? No, no, And stuff like that. And so I think there's that whole divide and people the children that are on social media learn things and tell the other ones and the other ones are clueless about it and obviously they're coming from in disinformed sources and so I think that's what most of the focus is on nowadays is like the social media influx and it's exasperated by lockdown as well because they're on the computer the whole time. Is there a difference in sort of body image concerns between the ones that use social media and the ones that don't? The ones that use social media, on the whole, have much higher concerns about their bodies and are also far more involved when it comes to conversations in PSHE around body image. And that could be in that it's in a good way most of the time. They're like, but they don't look like that in real life. That's an Instagram mm-hmm. filter. Whereas the ones that aren't on social media sometimes don't realise those things exist because they're really mm-hmm. innocent so people do say like social media's got a negative effect and I agree that on the whole it's not good for children's body image but for those that don't realize that you can photoshop 
Mm. They're like, oh, I didn't know that. And you're like, oh, okay, well, there we go. And they're like, yeah. I didn't know, but can you really do that? Can you really make your skin clearer? And you're like, yeah, you can do all that. And they're like, oh, but how? And so those children are like, wow, so that's not how they really look. <laughs> but so it's like good and bad. We do, yeah. I know we don't ever, people don't ever talk about that side of things, that the children that are really innocent, and there aren't a lot of them, but they don't see that you can alter reality. I almost was thinking as well. Um, I mean, I think it all goes back to balance, doesn't it? Like, mm. you know, ultimately, I think it is good to be exposed to social media, but just not to be on it all the time. But I was almost thinking about the children that don't have social media in the classroom. I can imagine feeling quite isolated, not being able to join in those conversations about things, you know, that you saw on the internet. And I think that would would make me feel excluded and then give me quite low self-esteem and it's horrible that you know you would need to go onto social media or whatever to feel included um and I don't necessarily think the answer is okay well let all kids on social media mm. um but you know I think one of the main drivers at school for me developing eating disorder was because I felt like an outsider um and like you're saying, if you if you're not aware that you can, you know, even if you're not on social media, you're probably still going to see pictures of people that aren't real. And having that awareness that they're actually not real, I would say, is an invaluable skill. Yeah. So, like your show, when we do um, like that lesson on body image and self esteem, we show adverts and like airbrushed, <laughs> and it's like which one, which one do you think's the real one, and which ones do you think's airbrushed, and often there's a lot of confusion because mm. some children are like well they maybe they want to be that like maybe they want to look bigger or maybe they want to look smaller and because children have different views it's actually wonderful to hear the conversations being like well maybe they made them bigger maybe they made them smaller and you're like yeah both of you but unfortunately this is the answer mm. but I understand where you're coming from um and I do think there's that sense of wanting to fit in and I have had children come to me in the past and say I'm not in on the joke because I didn't, I wasn't on uh, WhatsApp last night. And that is a boundary as teachers, different schools have policies on. But for example, some schools will say like, you can't, like it's their home life. Like you don't have a say on whether they have social media or not, which is true. And so like, sometimes we might say to a parent, oh, um, your child appears to like to always say they're on the phone at night time or always on WhatsApp. Um, but that's as far as we can go with that. Like at the end of the day, it's completely a parent's decision how much they have their phones. And from the minute they come to school, they don't have them. But it's, it's some children, unfortunately, don't have anyone home with them in the evening. Their parents are working. They rely on computers to Skype friends and call them words. Other people are with their families all evening long. And there's just it's just hard to differentiate between what's right and what's wrong. And obviously there's no limit and no, nothing you can do as a teacher. The only thing you can do is support them in the room. So just in the room, we kind of take all the social media out aspect out of things. Like we don't talk about, you don't talk about memes. You don't talk about all those things. Um, and just those conversations go, but they are really receptive to it. Like most of them don't come in talking about the internet mm. or talking about TikTok, but, there is that you can definitely see like the group of kids that bring their phone to school and put them in your desk drawer to lock up in the day of all friends. I'm I'm actually surprised, I guess, that stuff like 
memes and things like that aren't included in conversations in the classroom because it's almost like pop culture now um mm. so I guess I guess that's a really difficult thing to navigate in terms of what to talk about and what not to talk about because you don't want to exclude people but then also I don't know I feel like I, I'm really struggling to kind of think where I sit on this because I almost think that children should be exposed to it in order to be able to talk about it you know in an open discussion of how it made them feel or you know what they yeah. think about it but equally if people if children aren't being exposed to it in their home situation you can't exactly force them into you know getting a social media yeah. account so I think BBC have news round which mm. we I in my classroom we watch as a class every day brilliant and it's something that they that every time that sound comes on like they could be running around the classroom causing absolute riots and I just put the I put it on the board and I just sit like this and it's like four seconds I'm like guys you can't even do that whenever I do anything else it's like <laughs> the minute I put on news round it works so I once tried I was like I'm gonna do it again and it worked in the same day and then they were like oh we've already watched it today and I was like yeah um and so they we watch it every day and we have a proper proper discussion about it mm -hmm. um and that's really beneficial because it does talk about situations going on in other countries mm -hmm. and it does talk about say like a Dis the disney princess when they made one with glasses and mm -hmm. um it does talk about say like i know that it was speaking about barbie today and how they're making barbie with a hearing aid and vitiligo and so it does have really great things that like bring in conversation and often someone like a child will say oh yeah I saw that on Instagram or oh yeah I saw that on this last night and it'll be like okay I'm carrying on with the conversation mm. um, and I think it keeps everyone at a level playing field but there are some kids that just know more but I don't know maybe it's different at different schools like I'm sure it is but where I teach the children they actually just want to play all day like they're still young mm. and so although at home and on social media they may act quite cool and tough like get out a parachute and they'll do parachute games all day like they actually just want to play and that's really nice because I think in lockdown so many of them grew up way too fast and now they're kind of getting back to the fact like oh I can just play all day and it's really nice to kind of be free at school and get out Lego even at age nine or ten which during lockdown the kids weren't doing yeah I think that news round idea is absolutely brilliant um I think every primary school teacher should listen to that and <laughs> a do lot that. do a lot yeah. do it's just so good um and then I have like a a PSHE box in my classroom like for questions in general but then I also have a cultural box like culture questions box mm. so like I've had a child put in a question being like well how did Ukraine Russia start I just don't understand and so yeah they actually so it's actually like a really useful because people question boxes children often think are for worries and a worry box and majority of teachers will have a worry box like I don't know what to do because this person or this person doing this or I don't like where I sit in class things like that but to have some of them don't know things and they're like I actually just have no idea um and it's funny because when I read out the questions like anonymously and explain it and loads of people I'm like how many of you didn't actually know that and there's so many hands mm -hmm. popping up yet one child has put in the question yeah. so I always have a culture box as well because I think that it's important and they put their name on it in case it's something I can't answer in front of everyone mm -hmm. but if they really need to know the answer then I will sit down and talk to them about it and whether or not it's appropriate yeah 
That's amazing. I love that because I think there is so much worry that when you ask a question, mm. everyone's going to think that you're silly. Um, yeah, and but so actually, many of them are thinking it. Yeah, like even, you know, not even at primary school, like even in day-to-day oh, yeah. life now, like I remember being at uni and there was one girl in my year and she used to put her hand up, hand up all the time to ask questions. And, you know, at issue, she'd be like, oh, here she goes again. But actually, like, the questions she was asking were like, yeah, no one gets this. And thank God you had the courage to ask that. Um, so I think that is... That's me. In staff meetings, I'm like, wait, where is that saved? And everyone's like, oh, yeah. Where is that saved? <laughs> And everyone's like, oh, Florentish. I'm always the one that asks the extra question. But I'm like, then we don't have to have another meeting on exactly. this. Exactly. And yeah, exactly. We don't have to all sit there thinking, how the hell are we going to do? How the hell are we going to manage this? Um, something else I wanted to uh, ask you about. Um, I think the boxes that you've just mentioned are brilliant ideas and will really, you know, allow children, if they have any concerns, to ask questions. But mm. I'm just thinking back to when I was at school. Something I found really difficult was PE um I used to compare you know at primary school I used to compare myself all the time how good I was at sports but also what my body looked like compared to the other girls in the class how do you navigate you know have you had children come with those sorts of concerns and how would Mm -hmm. you navigate them yeah so I've had I've had a lot of children that girls and boys that won't wear like shorts to PE um and even when it got to like those really really hot days they'd be like no I'm wearing tracksuits because I don't want to show my body and like I'm a tracksuit lover the kids know that um and it it gets to a point where I would never make a child wear something they don't want to wear or like just like it but I just I I don't comment on it and I purely focus on wow you've got them really fast at running or look you just did a whole lap without taking a break and that's all that matters and I think that we need to pull conversation away from bodies and so I'm really big on like my first day with kids in the class I'm like a compliment isn't your hair looks nice a compliment is like oh that what you said was really funny Mm. or when we do like say if you have to say something nice to each other it's like not nothing to do with how you look and I'm really really big and I'm sure I've slipped up on making sure I never say that to children, like, oh, your hair looks nice today. I never say things like that, even if it's something as simple as your hair. I, if I'm trying to say something to a child, it will always be based on a comment they've made, an answer they've said, uh, or an act of kindness they've done. So say a child, it has got really cute hair today, um, but I won't say it unless I see, say I say them, like they're giving someone a ruler. Oh, that was really kind of you to lend that ruler. And I feel like those inner compliments are more important. And I think often we children will say like, oh, I like your skirt. Oh, And it's fine. It's not a big deal. It's a skirt. But I'm so big on prioritizing compliments that actually you're complimenting someone because they've done something good. Mm. It's not about how they look. And so, I mean, that goes away from your question, but PE is a subject that a lot of children find really challenging because you're deemed good or bad at it from a young age. Mm. And I think that's something that we need to not just step away from, but realize is so dangerous to do to children. Like I know that I was a really sporty child and I know that my sister wasn't and it was always Flo the sporty one. (laughs) And I've actually never asked that how that affected her. But it 
it's just it's it's just make yeah it's wrong and I have children that still won't wear tracksuits and I have children that pretend to be sick on PE days because they're weak um and I have boys that say I'm not going out to play because I'm not as good as football and I think that is a whole body comparison issue that stems from something much deeper that we need to break the mold and I know when I was when I was growing up at secondary school no girls wore trousers you just didn't do it. There was probably three girls who wore trousers and you described them. It's completely wrong as, oh, remember that girl that wears trousers? Mm-hmm. Like, it's terrible that that was their identity. And I was, obviously, that was the younger me. That's just what I did. And it's not right of me to have done. But that person was so brave. Mm-hmm. God, they were cool to wear trousers. Like, now I look back and I'm like, wow, what a cool <laughs> human. How brave and courageous that person was to just break the mold entirely. Mm. And I think it's just about seeing it as like the brave things that children do. Well done. You did pee today, even though I know you really don't like it. Mm-hmm. Oh, great. That child scored a goal. They always score a goal. Great. Still a good goal. But that one child that came down to pee, even if they only ran one lap, that was harder for them than the sporty kid scoring a goal. And that's mm. what we need to remember. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting, isn't it? Because I think I'm really glad that you kind of said about um, the comparisons of like to the sporty people, because I know that was mm. me. And I used to avoid PE lessons like it was nobody's business because I didn't want to, I didn't want to get changed in front of people. I didn't want to kind of wear the, you know, clothes that we had to wear in PE. Um, but there was nobody to talk to about, you know I don't want to and I remember saying you know you'd go to your PE teacher and have your forged note that you know you'd written because you didn't want to do it and there'd be no like are you actually poorly or is something going on like do you want to have a chat it was just like a oh for god's sake Hannah again like you know go and do whatever you want then um and I think just having those conversations to be like is there actually something going on you know if you notice somebody's regularly missing PE I think would have been Maybe I wouldn't have said anything. Maybe I would have been too embarrassed, but it might have just planted the seed of yeah. someone cares. But also I think I think quite a few parents, I've seen like two very different types of parents. I've seen parents that will just write the note for their child because their child's unhappy in PE and that's fine. They don't want their child to be unhappy and that's their way of dealing with it. And then I've seen the child that you can tell really doesn't want to do PE, but their parent has said, you're doing PE. And it's hard because either way someone's unhappy mm. but it's just about making PE fun like sport can be really fun yeah and it should be really fun and it's about not taking it too seriously like save the if you want to play football professionally you go play football professionally but in PE we're all working together mm-hmm. And I think that's what it's about. And it's hard as a teacher because you have kids that get really, really competitive. And if any of my friends listen to this, I hope they do, they'll be like, Florence, you are the most competitive person in the world. And I am. I literally am. But at the end of the day, I remember my PE teacher so well, who I still speak to today, because like with you and your teacher, they were the first people I went to about my eating disorder. I still speak to my PE teacher today. She was my PE teacher from year six to year 13. And I still speak to her today. And I remember being like, it's fun. It's meant <laughs> to be fun, Flo. And I'm like, yeah, but we didn't. Wouldn't. And it's just about, 
And it's about making it fun and realizing that that's what PE is meant to be. The same way that children are competitive in every lesson. Like with you, maybe you found sport the hardest, but I have children who they excel in sport, but will sit behind a book in maths and cry because they don't want to look dumb. And I think it's really hard because it's only been exasperated by lockdown when children were stuck at home with their parents, getting frustrated at them for certain things. And a lot of children didn't do PE, didn't do any form of fitness in lockdown. Yeah. Well, you could only leave the house for a certain period of time, couldn't you? So even if they did do, you know, a half an hour of exercise with Mm. their parents or whatever, I think back to when I was a kid, and I don't know whether it's changed, but I do pee at school, but that wasn't the exercise that I got the most. It was knocking around with my friends after school. I'd be running around for five hours until my mum was like, Hannah, please come in outside for dinner. Um, Yeah, definitely. Me too. Mine was weekends. Mm-hmm. And there was there, they had no form of that. And I have kids who say like, oh, my parents forced me to do Joe Wicks every day. And it shouldn't be forced. No. But then I have children now that are really, really unfit. Mm. And they are upset by it. It's so hard to find the happy mm, ground, I know. isn't it? I imagine. It's just impossible. I can't imagine as a parent how difficult it is. Oh, my God. You want, you know, like you say, you don't want to force your child, but at the same time, if they're not keen on exercise, how the hell are you meant to find something? You know, it's so difficult to find something. I've only found exercise I actually enjoy as an adult. Like as a child, I hated everything. Put me in front of a colouring book and my piano. I'm absolutely fine. Put Mm. me, you know, in front of a ball or whatever, like just sod off I don't want to do it and I've only found recently like the sports that I actually enjoy but it's like powerlifting you can't do powerlifting when you're a child can you um, yeah and like I have children that are like oh but I love horse riding okay that's really fortunate that you can go horse riding yeah but the the inner state school where I teach in London there's such a disparity mm. between like I have a child that was like well I worked out every day at my gym in lockdown with my dad and I was like, okay that's great. And then I have children that were like, I share a room with my two sisters. Mm-hmm. I don't have space to do Joe Wicks. And I think there's such a dis- – oh, it makes me so angry. I, need- I feel – I don't know what I need to do. <laughs> I'm like, I need to change the world. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's something that's just really hard. And I do think it stems from parents as well. Like, if a parent is really into sport, mm-hmm. a child will – take that more active lifestyle mm-hmm. um and that's just natural it's like if a parent's really into music a child will take to a more yeah. musical lifestyle on the whole and I know that some parents don't have time mm-hmm. and it's the same with food like I have seen parents pick up their child from school and the child's had a cupcake because it's someone's birthday in the class and then being like oh no you can't have that because and I'm and I have to really bite my tongue and my co-teacher who knows my co-teachers know that I'm in recovery they like elbow me like just breathe because that child is with their parent I can't say anything Mm. um and at the same time I just I just take it home with me I just worry about it um and yeah it's difficult but it comes from their parent and it stems from their parent and I've seen children with parents who have problems with food that they have told me about and said that I know this is coming out in my child but I don't know what to do I can't afford help and that's what like to all those parents out there like trying to support their children with body image and eating 
disorders, I think you need to think about your bias. And I can't imagine how hard it is. Like, I know that if I was raising someone small, you'd have, you have to kind of change the way you are. And you have to change the way you think and the things you say and the decisions you make. Um, and I know I've had friends from treatment centers who have children who said, I'm here simply because I don't want to give this to my child. Yeah. I don't want my biases to come up on them. And there are so many books now. Like, that's the best thing, I think. It's like mm-hmm. I have a PSHE bookshelf in my cupboard, in my cupboard, in my classroom. And the children, it's so funny because I have a sign out sheet and all the, there's all school library books, about 100 in my classroom, school library books. My 20 PSHE books are signed out again and again <laughs> because they're books by authors who get it. Mm. and they're not just on eating disorders they're on autism OCD and they're fiction books and the children really understand that like they can relate to that Mm. and it's often a good bouncing board with their parents to like talk about things like that and parents are really receptive they're like I want my children to know these things exist Mm. um and so I think just the more books the more films like they're starting to be some great resources out there yeah and I think it's just about the national curriculum and the department of education which one day I'm going to run heads up um <laughs> it's just Please about remember me when you do oh well, don't worry I'll be right there next thing um, <laughs> they uh, we've just met but that's cool um, <laughs> and um it's about the department of education recognizing that we're spending more t- I'm spending more time teaching my children how to underline date than I am on how to accept themselves Mm. mic drop quote yeah but (laughs) I really am and that just boils me inside um yeah I don't know if anyone has anyone has a solution out there before me and Hannah take on the world and fix it (laughs) feel free to join us I think you're so right I think the we've almost got our priorities wrong like mm, really the well. amount of times I am at work and someone's like, what's the date? And I'm like, I've got no, no idea. Cause it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter what the date is. Yeah. When do you, when do you underline the date in your working life? You never do that. Maybe, you know, you put it on the next, on a, on a, this is actually, that sounds really sad. You put it on a, so you put it on a word document when you're doing meetings. Well, you, but... you do, but at the top it says Tuesday the 16th. Exactly. So you don't need to know. Like, there are so many things. That's what that's what is my book bear about the education system is we're taught so many things that you know, and this might be the wrong answer. I don't I don't personally think it is, but things that you we have tools to use. Like you were saying earlier, there is a calculator we can use. Yeah. Yes, I do agree. I we need to know maths. I'm not yeah, for yeah. people that say, yeah. "Oh, what's the point in learning about maths?" Because I massively yeah. think that you do need maths. Oh, definitely. We need maths. We need English. We need science. Yeah. We need these subjects because they're going to stem the creators of the world. Yeah. But we also need thinkers. We also need people who believe in themselves. We also need yeah. people with self-esteem. Because at the end of the day, once we've got the self-esteem, we can build on the maths and we yeah. can build on the English. And that, but if that's we, what mm. I was going to say was, you know, if you if you can't do your job because you're completely consumed with mental health issues, what's the point? Like, you know, like you said, if you can't believe in yourself, if you can't engage in something because you're so focused on, oh my God, what do I look like today? What's my body image? There's no point you having all those skills. And it's the same, like I'll have children sometimes that come to school without breakfast 
And again, there's so many different reasons for this. It could be they were in a rush one day or it could be they they can't afford breakfast. And there's amazing companies like Magic Breakfast and all that stuff that are now helping free school meals for children and like breakfast before schools, which is excellent. But I'll have children that come in sometimes and are zoned out the whole morning and I'll mm. say, hey, what's going on? Oh, I didn't eat breakfast this morning. I didn't have time. And you'll be like, okay, that's okay. Well, can you like, how are we going to make sure you make time tomorrow? Maybe you could get it out the night before, put your cereal in the bowl the night before, set your alarm two minutes earlier. And that's one thing I'm really big on providing solutions, not just saying like, oh, we'll have breakfast tomorrow. That's not going to help. But um, but some children will say like, oh, I couldn't afford breakfast. And I'm like, well, how will we expecting these children to sit in classroom and learn and socialize? I know that they're probably angry. Mm. Their emotions are high. Yeah. And the first thing, like I worked at this amazing school that every day someone came around and it had a very high people premium. So they got money from the government. Someone came around every morning and said, who wants half a bagel? And I'd be like me. But the kids, the kids would be so happy because they'd know that they were then, we'd take 15 minutes to have our bagels but to everyone would understand the maths lesson. And it just made the biggest difference. I'm not saying we can rule out, like you 100%, I agree with maths, English, all the curriculum. I'm not saying we need to take out any subject. I'm saying we need to understand that priorities need to be arranged differently. And spending time that we spend each day doing registration that could be done electronically we could spend those 10 minutes doing some watching news round yeah and I just think it's really sad I it just make it makes me really sad um but yeah well I think on a more you know it is sad but you know I am very confident that there are more Florences out there who are absolutely invested in supporting children and prioritizing. And I think, you know, one positive I do think is that, you know, we're aware of this. I think when I was at school, there wasn't an awareness of these sorts of issues, but now there is an awareness. Maybe the curriculum's not perfect, but we're making a way towards it. I've dug myself in a hole here. Like we are doing. I've dug myself. I'm yeah. like, why am I like this? I'm like thinking. About no, <laughs> it's okay. But we, I want us to end we, on a happy note. No, but the thing is, we have. Like I know that when I was at school, teachers wouldn't have been given the space and the freedom to do what I do, and yeah. so many of my colleagues do now. And I have some amazing colleagues who, mm-hmm. and amazing head teachers who, if I say I'm actually not going to do that today, because they're like, "Yep, that's more important." Mm. And I think that's what's really wonderful. And there are people out there, like there are so I could name a thousand authors and organizations that are actually creating resources. So, for example, in school, when we used to read, I don't know, any classical English book and do an English program about it. There's so many resources out there, like Book Trust and the Literacy Curriculum, that are now making those. So the class reader is about a book, is about a child with autism. Hmm. And so that's our everyday English lesson and PSHE seeps into it. And mm-hmm. I do get carried away. And sometimes the children are like, um, Miss, what are we meant to be? Le- are we meant to be learning how to structure a sentence? I'm like, oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> but I think that as much as teachers can, they do put PSHE into the curriculum. And I know that like I know a lot of teachers at my school 
do look at like poverty and geography um, and ways to look at like racial history and history. And I think that you're right, they are becoming a lot more aware. And I think it's I think it's also down to teaching universities. I think they need to kind of put it into their curriculum more because that's where teachers get their initial ideas from. Because I understand that some teachers don't want to just bring that into their classroom, having not being educated on it. I feel like I can come like some of sometimes I get teachers being like, how do I teach lesson on eating disorders without what can I say? What can I not say? I'm like, thank you. Like we all need to share each other's expertise. And that's what I guess you try to do with your Instagram. And I try to do with my Instagram is say, learn from me but I don't know everything yeah but learn and we're me. constantly learning as well you know there's there's oh, topics constantly. every single podcast I do I absolutely love because somebody will come on with something that they're really passionate about and I'm like yes you know I am the sort of you know centrally I talk about eating disorders but all the experience that everybody brings you know I want to know how to talk to a child about an eating disorder of body image concerns but from speaking to you now I'd feel much more confident in you know if my niece or nephew came to me then I would feel confident with that so I think we're all constantly learning and that I think is the biggest thing you know to take home is that nobody's got the perfect solution we've, no. we've realized that from our conversation today there is no perfect solution but I think as long as you're attempting to support those around you you know that's yeah, all that the same with parents these yeah. par- I see parents trying on an everyday basis should I say this should I say that mm-hmm. and that's all that matters you're never going to say the right thing I guarantee you I've said the wrong thing to children a thousand yeah. times and at first when you do it you like I oh my god I feel so bad I've got to go and tell them that that comment I said on Tuesday at 11 20 was and they're like and there they are like not remembering everything but it's about like I don't remember any comments teachers said to me but some children will and it's just about just about trying your best and that's the same for parents like I can't imagine being a parent in this day and age I give so much credit to the parents um for raising humans like humans I can barely raise them actually no I can't I'm a good dog mum but like (laughs) they like the same meal through (laughs) yeah that's true I do always think that I'm like I can barely look after myself let alone a child so uh (laughs) maybe not maybe yeah all of my plants and all of my pets are alive today that's true yeah I am a a plant mum and I do very well with that and I care a lot so uh, good work I'm not as good with the plants as the animals yeah well Florence, honestly, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. I feel like you've given so much insight, so many tips um, for parents and, you know, anybody working with, a, you know, a young person. So thank you so much. Um, if people want to hear more from you, get more of those amazing tips, where can they find you? Oh, they can find me on Instagram mm-hmm. um, at growth, not grades. Amazing. So, yeah, cool. that's where I'm at. Um, and please feel free to reach out, ask for books, tell me what key stage you're in, what year you're in, what topic you're doing. I'm more than happy to share my lesson plans, all of it. Amazing. Thank you. Maybe we could, in the show notes, put a few recommendations of books for the different yeah. key stages. I think that would be really good. And then, yeah, yeah that's so kind of you to share your lesson plans and stuff. I'm sure that would yeah, be really totally. helpful for people. Yeah, thank you, Hannah. This has been amazing. And what you do is just incredible. Your podcast is just fantastic. The amount of people I've told to listen to it. Oh, good. Thank just, you. Yeah, what you're doing is super cool. Thank you. If you enjoyed listening today, you won't want to miss next week's episode. So be sure to subscribe. Eating disorders are crippling illnesses, but with the right support, they can be recovered from. We really hope you enjoyed this episode, but if you require more support right now, please look into charities such as First Steps and Beat for support or talk to someone you trust.